are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. My name is Talavo. I am one of the pastors on staff uh, here. Grateful to be with you this morning. We're going to be in Mark 4 together. And so I'd love for you uh, to turn there uh, so you can follow along with me. I actually want to start... um, by reading the first part of our text uh, this morning. And so, uh, Mark 4, I would love to give the Lord the first word here. This is Mark 4. It says this, again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in, in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. Um, So there is uh, a phrase that gets thrown around a lot this time of year, uh, probably because of all of the holiday gatherings that we have this season, um, all the, the, the meals that we have together, I'm sure. Um, well, I'm not sure if you knew or not, but, but we're at the tail end of eating season, okay? Um, you're familiar. Good. This is good. So eating season um, starts around early to mid-November uh, with your kind of first Friendsgiving gathering, and then it runs all the way through tomorrow, or some, some have it towards like Super Bowl Sunday, but that is too much for us, okay? So happy eating season to all of you who celebrate. Um, We have one more night before our juice cleanse, okay? Um, And so one of the phrases that uh, I hear most often during the season, because I just eat a lot, um, is it's an acquired taste, right? So so maybe later tonight you're going to go to a friend's house with your family uh, for New Year's Eve dinner, and uh, before you all sit down, somebody's going to bring out the cheese board, okay? And it's going to be filled with cheeses uh, whose names you can't pronounce, and some of the cheese is going to smell, and the texture is going to be a little bit off, and there are going to be like five different types of olives and, and pickled vegetables on this platter, and there's going to be some sliced meat, and again, you're not going to know how to pronounce the name of this meat you're consuming or not consuming, right? Or maybe... You got invited to an oyster roast uh, earlier uh, this season, but you like your seafood cooked and on a plate, right? Not raw from the shell. And here's what everyone is going to say uh, to get you to eat, or mostly to signal that their palate is just much more refined than yours. They're going to say it's an acquired taste. I'm sure this has happened to most of us. You, you, you go out and you wonder why your roommate or your friend or your spouse always orders some exotic food or orders that meal that's got some like fermented greens on it. You know, and you say something, how, 
how can you eat that? Right? I've never been able to enjoy food like that. And then they look at you in a way that communicates that they think they're better than you. And they're going to say, it's, it's an acquired taste. And then you're going to go back to eating your chicken nuggets. Um, it's an acquired taste, right? There are these different things in our lives uh, that we watch other people experience and enjoy and think to ourselves, that's not for me, right? And I think the same is true in the Christian life, right? We can come into a room like this. We can watch other people engaging in and actually enjoying worship, actually enjoying the greeting time um, and think, well, that's not for me. Right, that must be an acquired taste. Or maybe you're in a community group and you're listening to somebody talk about uh, a passage of scripture that they just read, that they love. And you think, man, I've never really enjoyed the Bible like that. That that's, must be an acquired taste. Or you hear a passage like this, it's Psalm 19. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And again, you hear that and you think, how could anyone enjoy the Bible like that? I, I can't, that, that must be an acquired taste, right? Or maybe you would say, you know, I used to really love reading the Bible, um, but I just, I've lost my taste for it. I can't really stomach it anymore. And others of us are thinking about uh, our resolutions. And we're saying, man, I, I want to get there. Right? I want to develop a taste for Scripture. This is where I want us to camp out this morning. I want us to do some uh, honest reflection about our posture towards scripture. And mostly I hope that the Lord would use his word to encourage us towards growth uh, in this area as we look ahead uh, to this new year. So let me start by giving you a few questions that I hope you'll, uh, I want to challenge you to kind of wrestle with and maybe later on you can think through these things, right? So here's a question. How, how would you describe your relationship to the Bible? How would you say the Bible fits into your life right now? And what places has the Bible had, um, what places has the Bible had in your life this past year? Would you say that it's had a central place in your life? Or would you say that it, it's been off to the side? Or maybe you would say, you know, the Bible hasn't had any place in my life for a while. How much influence would you say uh, the Bible has had on your life this last year on things like uh, your speech? Uh, in your relationships, or in your decision-making? Has the Bible shown up consistently in your life, or are you only ever near a Bible when it's in the seat back in front of you? Right? And these aren't trap questions. My, my hope, I'm not trying to like, God, gotcha, we're terrible. Okay? Um, I just want uh, you to honestly assess how and where the Bible fits into your life right now. Right, and so, um, and really what I'm asking is this, what's your posture towards scripture? What has been your posture towards God's word? So this morning, we're going to take a look at um, what is probably a familiar passage of the Bible and walk through how we might receive God's word and how we might grow 
in our posture towards it. So we'll jump back in again and look at the parable of the sower. You heard me read it before. Um, this time, we'll let Jesus explain what he's saying. So starting in uh, verse 3, he says this, Listen, behold, a sower came out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. Since it had no root, it withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, verse 13, he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, receive it immediately with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So as we walk through this parable together, I want you to keep this question in mind. How do I receive God's word? How do I receive God's word? That's what this parable is about. Jesus says the sower sows the word in verse 14. And then in Luke 8, he tells us that the seed is the word of God. Okay, this is about how you and I receive God's word. And it can apply to any setting where God's word is being sown. Right, to use the language of the parable. So as we are sitting in a Sunday gathering and the word is being preached and unpacked, the word of God is being sown and we are the soil. If you're reading the Bible on your own or when you're in your community group unpacking what the Bible has said or anytime the word is being shared, you are the soil and the seed is the word of God. And so the question for us is what type of soil will the seed land on? How do you receive God's word? Or to ask the question from earlier, what is your posture towards scripture? And I want you to think about um, the pattern and the habit of your life. Okay, Not just how you receive God's word uh, on a bad day or after a really good week. Uh, think about your relationship to the Bible over the last year or the last few years. Okay, um, That's, that's kind of where I want us to go. And in this parable, Jesus gives us four ways to receive God's word. Four different types of soil that probably, uh, certainly exist in this room this morning. Each type of soil represents a different response or a different posture towards God's word. And you'll notice that each one of these has a different outcome. Right? Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. He's going to play the tape out for us. And so what I'm doing uh, this morning, I'm going to be up front with you. I'm just going to give us uh, more of an overview of the soils instead of really getting down into the weeds. 
okay, which is a required pun whenever you are preaching this parable, okay? But I want to give you enough space uh, for you to really wrestle with where you think you might find yourself and to kind of fill in the blanks on your own, okay? So we'll jump in. The first place the seed can land is along the path. We're going to kind of put these verses together. Verse 4, it says, And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came out and devoured it. And then verse 15, Jesus says, And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So the path represents a hardened heart. It's a heart that is hardened towards God's words or even opposed to God's word. And Jesus says that if this is your posture towards God's words, then what happens is that Satan immediately comes and takes away the word. And something I want you to do this morning is pay attention to how often the word immediately comes up uh, in this text, especially as Jesus explains uh, the parable's meaning. So how does someone end up here? Where does the hardened heart come from? Okay, I think there are three different things we need to look out for. Uh, here's the first one, deception. The hardened heart has been deceived. Okay, we, we need to talk about Satan uh, because Jesus does, right? And, and really what, what you need to know, and I think what Jesus wants us to know, is that you and I have an enemy, right? A spiritual enemy. And he is opposed to God and opposed to the truth and he is opposed to you trusting uh, and responding to God and his word. Jesus calls him a thief in John 10.10. 10. The thief, the enemy, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. 1 Peter 5.8 says that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Okay, and it's not a coincidence that Jesus says the birds came and devoured the seed that fell along the path, right? Jesus also calls him the father of lies. He's also called the deceiver of the whole world. And it is his desire to keep you from receiving and responding to God's word. Okay, it's his desire to steal, kill, and destroy the life and the joy and the peace that God offers us through his word. And it's his desire to harden your hearts towards the Bible. And the way he does this is to lie and to deceive. Okay, and it's the same lie he's been telling since the very beginning. It's four words. Did God actually say? Right, it's Genesis 3.1. Did God actually say? That's the lie the enemy uses to try to deceive us and to try and harden our hearts. And sometimes it sounds like this. Why would God ever say anything like that? Did God really mean that? And I think his goal is to make us believe things that aren't true about the character of God, about who God is. Why? Because if God is trustworthy, and he is, then his word is trustworthy. And if God is loving, and he is, then his words to us are loving. But if the enemy can deceive you, into believing that God isn't really who he says he is, right? Even for a second, then, then your heart will grow hard towards his word, right? And so you might find yourself really thinking something like this. Would a loving God really say that? Would, would a loving God, if God really loved me, 
Would he really want me to give that up? Okay, our enemy is a deceiver and a liar. And so one of the ways that our hearts can be hardened is through deception. It's by believing lies about who God is, right, by the character of God. Because again, if, if God isn't trustworthy, then why should I trust what he says? If God isn't loving, then why should I hear his words as loving to me? Right? The hardened heart has been deceived. Okay, here's another way that our hearts can be hardened. Uh, it's distraction. The hardened heart has been distracted. Okay, another way that our enemy can immediately take away the word of the seed that's been sown is through distraction. And he will do all that he can to take your attention away from God and from his word whenever the Bible is being opened. Okay, sometimes it's a bunch of random sounds. Uh, sometimes things just happen with the lights. Sometimes this usually happens, not usually, sometimes happens uh, in a high school gathering where just a bunch of people just start having to cough all of a sudden. You've been in a room like that before? Right, you have no idea why. Uh, or you might find that your thoughts just randomly drift away from the message to how much work it's going to be to pack up Christmas when you get home. Or why everybody's opting out of these bowl games or really anything that might distract you and take your attention away from God's word. And before we move on, I, let me say this so I don't leave us hanging, okay? Yes, you and I have an enemy that wants to deceive you and distract you, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But listen to James 4, verse 7 to 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And then it says this, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. In 1 Peter 5, 9, this is right after we're told that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. It says, resist him, firm in your faith. It's pretty straightforward, right? How do we deal with the lies and distractions of the enemy? We resist. Resist him and he will flee from you. He must flee from you and draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It is God's desire to draw near to you, right? That is good news for me and for you. But let me be clear about something else here, okay? Not every distraction is from Satan, okay? And if we're being honest, you and I don't really need a lot of help in this area. At least I don't, okay? Some of us are very skilled at distracting ourselves from God's words. We are experts at distracting ourselves from receiving God's word. And again, the hardened heart has been distracted. And usually, the biggest distraction that I face is myself, or my phone, or my Twitter feed, or, or the comment section, or my fantasy football app, or um, the Nintendo Switch that we had intended to buy for just our kids. Okay, but it turns out I'm pretty good at Mario Kart. Okay, listen uh, this is a quote from C.S. Lewis from the Screwtape Letters. If you're not familiar, uh, it's, it's a fictional collection of letters. It's written from uh, the perspective of a, an elder demon, a more uh, experienced demon, instructing a newer demon on how to distract a believer. Okay, here's this quote. It says this, You will find that anything or nothing is sufficient to attract his wandering attention. You no longer need a good book, which he really likes, to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. A column of advertisements in yesterday's paper will do. 
You can make him waste his time not only in conversation he enjoys with people whom he likes, but in conversations with those he cares nothing about on subjects that bore him. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods. Right? The hardened heart has been distracted. Okay, we'll keep going. Another way that our hearts can be hardened towards God's word is through pride. And I think this is the biggest cause of a hardened heart. Okay, listen to what Jesus says to some of the uh, super religious people. And it's time. This is John 5, verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. That makes sense, right? They're absolutely right about that. Most of us would amen that, right? But Jesus goes on. And it says, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. These guys grew up in church. They probably went to summer camp. They know all the right answers. They're in all the Bible studies. And they know the Bible was meant to point them towards Jesus, but they refuse to go. Jesus flat out says, you know how you should respond to the word. You just don't want to. Right? It all points to me, but you refuse to come to me. But why? Because of pride. Okay? Because the hardened heart lacks humility. The hardened heart lacks humility. It's pride that says, I know what the Bible says, but that's not really relevant to me right now. Right? Or, or this guy just doesn't know what he's talking about. He's so out of touch right now. Right? It's pride that says, thanks for the suggestion, but I'll take care of that on my own. Okay? And it's even pride that says, this isn't for me. It's for my friend. I really hope they're paying attention. Okay? The reality is that it takes humility to receive the Bible as the very words of God. And it takes humility to let God have the last word on your life. But the hardened heart lacks humility. And if that's your posture towards God's word, if you've hardened your heart towards the Bible through uh, deception, distraction, or through pride, then Jesus says the word is immediately taken away. It doesn't even have a chance to take root. Okay, that's the seed that fell along the path, the hardened heart. Let's keep going. We'll cover the next ones, uh, the next one a few, maybe, maybe quicker. The second place, the seed can land, is on the rocky ground. Verse 5, other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it, did not have no, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. And Jesus tells us what he means in verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. And when tribulation, persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. The rocky ground represents a shallow heart. Okay, Jesus says the shallow heart has no depth and no root. So what does it mean to receive the word with a shallow heart? How do we end up with a shallow heart? Look again at verse 16. Jesus says that when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. Again, we're going to pay extra attention when we see the word immediately. Okay, so they hear the word and respond with immediate joy, which isn't bad. Not a bad thing on the surface, right? But here's what I think is happening. This is what we need to be aware of so we don't slip into shallow hearts. We need to be careful of misplacing our joy. 
Okay, so a shallow heart, when the word is, is being shared, might respond like this. Wow, that was an awesome sermon. It was good today. Why, that guy was a great communicator. I'm, I'm, I'm so motivated after that. He's so funny. Right, that was an awesome story at the beginning. And the band is awesome today. What a great Sunday. Right? There's immediate joy there. Because a shallow heart doesn't respond with joy to what's being communicated in God's word, as much as it responds to how witty or captivating the communicator is or how engaging the worship service was. Right? And, and that misplaced joy can lead us to something else that might cultivate a more shallow heart, and that's misplaced hope. So instead of placing our hope in the God of the Bible, what we hope is that the pastor comes through with another great message. I hope it's good today. I need it today. Right? Or we hope in another great camp experience or a great worship set by the band, and we just live and die by the next sermon or the next really great experience. It's like a roller coaster. And here's what happens. Um, this may be evidence of a shallow heart. Jesus tells us in verse 17, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Here's another important takeaway for you. The shallow heart lacks endurance. The shallow heart lacks Endurance, Because when obedience to God's word leads to any type of trial or even uh, persecution, the shallow heart is out. Right? Jesus says this happens immediately. Right? That's our word again. So as quickly as they amen a great sermon or feel really warm or motivated after a great worship service or feel really encouraged after that retreat, it's, it's how quickly they abandon God's word when it comes time to respond. The shallow heart lacks endurance. The second, that caring about my purity or my integrity leads to an awkward conversation with this boy or this girl, then I'm out. Okay, the second my coworkers or, or my family or the other parents on the team start thinking it's a little weird that I take my faith seriously, then I'm out. Okay, when obedience to God's word might lead to any type of resistance. The shallow heart says this isn't worth it. Right? Why? Because God's word has never taken root in their lives. Right? So that's the rocky ground, the shallow heart. The next place the seed can land is among the thorns. Verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And then now verse 18 they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The seed that lands among the thorns represents a preoccupied heart. Jesus says that the word is choked out. Okay, the preoccupied heart lacks fruit. And you'll notice that the word immediately uh, is not used. And I think it's because this happens gradually and slowly over time. Jesus says that they hear the word, and I would venture they probably agree with most of the Bible too. Right? But there's a, a big difference between agreeing with the word and actually responding to God's word. And it's our responding 
that leads to fruit. Right? It's, it's our responding to God's word that leads us to being transformed by God's word. But Jesus says the preoccupied heart proves unfruitful. It's unchanged by God's word because the preoccupied heart hasn't responded to God's word. And so how do I know if I'm struggling with a preoccupied heart? Well, the person with a preoccupied heart might look back at the last six months or the last year and not, and not feel like they've grown or matured much at all. Right? It's hard for them to pick out uh, much fruit or evidence of growth and maturity in their life, or they might be wondering why they're still struggling with that same sin a few months later or a few years later. Okay, and I want to be clear about something here, okay? I am not talking about perfection. Okay, well, I'm talking about progress. Okay, uh, little steps of progress and growth. And the preoccupied heart might not be able to see much progress in their Christian life. Like, I, you know, I'm still not praying as much as I want. I still haven't finished reading that book of the Bible that I started last year. Or, you know, not much has changed for me in my life since I was involved in youth group or since college. Okay, the preoccupied heart proves unfruitful because its attention is somewhere else. Right, but where? Uh, where is their attention? Jesus says in verse uh, 19, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things. The preoccupied heart is preoccupied. Right? That makes sense. The preoccupied heart says these two words a lot. It says, but first. I'm going to start reading my Bible. But first, let me get through the first part of this year. Okay, you know, I I really want to start taking my faith more seriously, but I want to experience a few things first. Okay, but first, let let me get through college. First, let let me get a little bit older. Or let me get married. Let me have a family first. And then I'll start taking this more seriously. Or, you know, I'm, I'm going to make more time to pray. I want to make more time to read my Bible. But let me take care of a few things that work first. Okay, and Jesus says that eventually the word is choked out. It's gone. And this one is really scary to me because what might be left um, with, with someone that with something that sounds like this is, is, man, you know what? That was just something I tried last summer. That Christian thing, which is something I did when I was at home with my parents. It's something I did when I was in high school, but it doesn't do anything for me now, right? The preoccupied heart that constantly says, I'll, I'll get to that later, will never get to experience the type of fruit that God wants to produce in their lives now. The preoccupied heart lacks fruit. Okay, so let me ask you another question before we move on. Think back to this last year. What have you been most preoccupied with? What, what would you say are your but first? Let me take care of that first, and then I'll come over here. Or to use Jesus' words, what cares of the world, what desires are constantly drawing your attention away from the Lord? Okay, these things might be the thorns that are choking out the word in your life, and I would challenge you to wrestle with them before they cause you to be unfruitful. Okay, so we've covered three different ways that we can receive God's word. Three different types of soils the seed can land on. The path, the hardened heart, uh, there's the rocky ground, which is the shallow heart, and then there's among the thorns, right? The preoccupied heart. And so, here's the reality. These different types of soils 
may not describe our posture towards God's word as a whole, right? Towards the Bible as a whole. I think many of us, myself included, would like to believe that our hearts are generally good soil, right? But there are probably different areas in our lives where God has been trying to use his word to teach us and convict us and mature us, but the seed has never really taken root. Right, so before we move on, I want to make sure that you're doing, that you're being honest about where those places are. Okay? I don't think that many of us would say that we've hardened our heart towards the entire Bible, just towards some of it. Right? I'm good with the Bible telling me what I need to do for spiritual things. But God can't tell me about who to date. And God can't tell me about my money. He can't tell me about my career or my job. Right? Remember, Jesus says that the shallow heart has no depth or no root. Right? But of course, you and I are not shallow people. Right? When it comes to taking our faith seriously, we just don't want to take it too seriously. Right? I take my faith very seriously at church or when I'm in a community group or, or when I'm, I'm sitting down for a Bible study. Right? Just not when the guys at work are cracking jokes about their wives. Right? I take my faith really seriously when I'm uh, at a youth group or whatever. Just not so much when I'm having lunch with my friends. Okay? Maybe you wouldn't say that you're too preoccupied to show up or, or respond to God's word. You're just a little too busy to address that one area of your life that the Lord keeps putting his finger on. Right? So maybe you're thinking, man, you know, it could take me months to set up the accountability that I would need to kill that sin in my life. I just have too much going on right now. Right? Or the Lord maybe has been convicting you for years about community. Right? And not, not a meeting. Not showing up to me, but about real community with other believers who can spur you on. But you're like, man, we've got all these weekly things going on. And it would be too much right now to try and figure out how we can make that work. Maybe next year. Right? Every time the word of God is being sown and shared, it's going to land on some type of soil. Right? And on a good day, on a good day, when you look at my yard from across the street, from way across the street, okay, on the whole, it looks pretty good, but when you come up to my driveway, you walk towards our house, you're going to see patches and patches of weeds all over the place, okay, I want to make sure that we don't overlook those little patches or those big patches of hardened rock or thorns in our hearts, because generally speaking, everything else looks pretty good. Okay, so let's keep going. Here's our last one, the good soil. Verse 8, and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Then verse 20, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. The good soil represents a fruitful heart. And here's what Jesus says, um, that this fruit multiplies 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Um, a 10-fold yield would be exceptional, right? So a 30-fold growth is miraculous. 
60, 100 times grow these miraculous. And I think it's meant to point us towards the type of fruit that the Lord wants to produce in our lives through his word. Okay, and obviously that's what we're shooting for, right? Lasting fruit and fruit that abounds. And the question is, how do we get there? How can we cultivate a fruitful heart? How can we make sure the word of God takes root and bears fruit in our lives. Listen again to how Jesus describes the fruitful heart in verse 20. He says that it hears the words, it accepts the word, and it bears fruit. Okay, there are, these are three things that are true about the fruitful heart, and they're what we need to pursue and cultivate in our lives. Okay, here's the first one. The fruitful heart hears the word. Jesus starts his parable with one word. Listen. Right? And this sounds so obvious, right? But the fruitful heart comes prepared to listen. And here's what Jesus says uh, in Luke's gospel. After he shares this same parable, he says, Take care then how you hear. Or the NIV puts it like this. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Consider carefully how you listen. That's what I want to challenge you uh, to do next. Right? Consider carefully how you listen. How do you listen? to the word. What's your posture? Whenever you come into uh, whenever you come to the word, how do, how do you come into this room every week? Do you often come distracted and preoccupied and tired? Or do you intentionally prepare to listen before you get here? And for some of us, this is for me, preparing to listen simply means turning the game off at halftime. Right, so I can go to bed at a decent hour. Or it might mean just saying a quick, intentional prayer on your way here. Here's an easy one. Psalm 119.36. Incline my heart to your testimonies. Lord, help me and help my heart pay attention this morning. Amen. Right? God loves to say yes to prayers like that. Do you come hoping uh, to hear a captivating and engaging sermon? Or have you come eager and expecting to hear from the Lord? And do you listen with a posture of skepticism and, and critique? Or have you come to listen with humility? Okay, the fruitful heart hears the word. So take care then how you listen. Consider carefully how you listen. Here's the next one. The fruitful heart accepts the word. Another way you could put it is that it welcomes the word. The fruitful heart welcomes the word. 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness. So whenever you sit down to hear the word, whether it's being preached or you're reading it on your own, remember that you are hearing from God himself. And that means that the word has authority, and the fruitful heart accepts that authority. It welcomes that authority, and not begrudgingly, but willingly. Right? The fruitful heart welcomes the authority of Scripture because it's confident that these are the words of a good and gracious and loving and faithful God. Uh, these are the words of God who promises that He has come, that we would have life and have it Abundantly, And the fruitful heart welcomes the authority of Scripture, which also means that it welcomes the teaching and the reproof and the correction and the training of Scripture. 
Okay, so how willing are you to accept and welcome the authority of God's word in your life? Do you often come with a posture of defiance or one of willing submission? Right? And do you tend to believe that God is just trying to rob you of life? Or do you trust that God's words are meant to lead you towards and increase more of your life and joy and satisfaction? The fruitful heart accepts and welcomes the word of God. Here's our last one. The fruitful heart responds to the word. Jesus says that it bears fruit. Remember, uh, the preoccupied heart, the soil with the thorns, proves unfruitful. It's unfruitful because um, it's got a list of things that needs to get done first. Right? But lasting fruit comes from responding to God's word. Psalm 95, verse 7 to 8 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Responding to God's words means we aren't saying but first. It means obedience today. So the fruitful heart says yes to God. It bears fruit by responding with obedience to God's words. And let me give you a few quick thoughts on obedience before we wrap up, okay? Because I think the primary reason that some of us are unfruitful or feeling stuck uh, in our Christian lives is because we haven't obeyed. We haven't said yes to the Lord in a long time. And because we haven't obeyed, we haven't seen the fruit that obedience to God's word is meant to produce in our lives. And I, th- I think part of what makes obedience challenging Um, in the Christian life, it's this misconception that obedience to God and obedience to God's word is only trying our hardest not to do things. I hope that makes sense. But obedience is much more than that. It's saying yes to commands like this one, Colossians 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That sounds like a command. And and now think about the type of fruit that's saying yes to the command to put on humility and meekness and patience could produce in your life. Right? What about forgiveness? What type of fruit do you think obedience? in the area of forgiveness can produce in your relationships at home or at work or with that person that you had a falling out with last year. Right, and we keep going. A few verses later, Colossians 3.16, we're given another imperative. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And again, What type of fruit do you think obedience to this command could produce in your life? Are you struggling? Uh, Do you feel stuck with with maturity and with growth? Then let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and teach and admonish one another. Respond in obedience to this command. Do you feel stuck or unfruitful in worship? Then sing. Right? Say yes. To God's word? Are you lacking fruit in the area of contentment or joy? Then obey and walk in thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay, one more example here. 
Uh, Paul goes on a few verses later, and this one is, is for me. It says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they be discouraged. What if I would walk in obedience to this command more than I do? What type of fruit do you think God would produce in our parenting and in our kids if we would say yes to a command like that, right? And the promise that we're given is that the fruit that comes out of our obedience to God's word will abound and it will increase 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold, okay? Can you imagine the type of fruit that we could experience as a church if we would simply respond in obedience to God's word, if we would say yes to the Lord, right? The fruitful heart hears the word, The fruitful heart welcomes and accepts the word, and the fruitful heart responds in obedience to the word. And then Jesus unpacks, after he he unpacks the parable for his disciples, he says this in Luke 8, you heard some of it earlier, he says, take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. And this is my prayer and my hope for our church in this new year. It's that more would be given. But that you and I would find ourselves uh, and be counted in that first group. To the one who has, more will be given. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And I'm praying that God's word would find good soil here and that he would produce fruit in our lives, in our families, and in our worship that would increase and Abound. Let me pray for us and we can respond in worship. Father, grateful for your word, grateful that you are God that tells us the truth. Because you love us and because you desire that we would experience life and joy and fulfillment in your word. And so I pray, I pray, Lord, that, that you would, um, in only the ways that you can, you'd lovingly convict us of the places in our lives where we've been hardened to your word. Pray you forgive us uh, of those. I pray that you would reveal to us the areas in our lives where we are just unwilling or too busy to respond. I pray that you would help us, uh, Lord, to trust you to take your word. You're a gracious God, gracious, and, and oh, you're so generous to have given us this Bible. I pray that you would help us, um, Lord, to love your word. We pray that in Jesus' name.